Welcome to Psychology Has It Backwards. This series will question the assumption that people are psychologically broken and need to be fixed. We will talk about how seeing people as innately healthy will change all of your interactions and outcomes. This is a true paradigm shift, and it simplifies the entire process of dealing with mental distress and allows for more profound and immediate changes. Aloha, and welcome to Psychology Has It Backwards. I'm Christine Heath. I'm coming to you from Hawaii, and I'm a marriage and family therapist. And I'm here today with my very good friend and uh, beautiful colleague, Judy Sedgman, and I'm coming to you from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and uh, I'm just always happy to be here with Chris. She's she's the person I love to work with the most. We, we were just talking about somebody gave us some p- feedback that they thought the last few episodes that we were on fire, and we were laughing because anytime anybody tells people our age that we're on fire, we're so grateful. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just glad to be alive, really. (laughs) Alive and still able to talk and remember what we just said. (laughs) So today, we thought we'd talk a little bit about um, how people in the field of psychology and in general in life, how we make things be things that actually aren't things. And there's a couple of examples in, in psychology in particular where we talk about your relationship. So frequently people will come into therapy because I'm a marriage and family therapist, right? They'll come in and they'll talk about, uh, well, my relationship this and my relationship that. And I remember a long time ago, one of my colleagues, Claudia Brown, she was a social worker that worked with me in Minnesota. And she, she had, um, this, beautiful, uh, we had this beautiful office with a nice big couch on it. And she was doing couples counseling with this couple. And um, they kept talking about their relationship, their relationship. And so she said, okay, I want to stop you. And she had the man go to the far end of the sofa and the woman go to the other end of the sofa. And she said, I just want to make sure there's enough room on the sofa for your relationship. You know, (laughs) Because it, it, it's like we talk about it and we get so wrapped up in our thoughts that they seem like they're things. So the other thing that we started noticing is how people talk about my story. Well, that's the, that's your story. That's my story. Well, I, my story is this. And mm-hmm. we, we have that, of course, it's my story. And then it's the sense of it being a thing. Like I get caught up in my story. But yeah. There is no thing to get caught up in. You're just thinking. And those thoughts look real and you think them a lot. So that's why they become your story because you think them over and over again and they start to have a sense of truth in your mind. So, you know, it's um, interesting for me anyway to, um, to start to see how that works in people, how we are able to, um, create this notion that, that things exist. Like we even do that with diagnoses, right? So people will talk about my depression or my anxiety or um, my, uh, I'm bipolar. I have this, that's my bipolar talking, you know, like yeah. somehow there's a, that, like your thoughts have an intelligence of their own that they yeah. can uh, think and, and create. And it's just you thinking. 
<laughs> you know, I was thinking as you were talking, Chris, that people also uh, talk about my past as though it was fixed. Now, we all have a history. You know, we, we started somewhere and we're where we are, so things happened. But even if you, if you really stop and reflect on your past, whatever you call it, it looks different in, in different states of mind. But we, we don't notice that because, you know, when we talk about it, once we get it fixed in our mind that we understand our past and our past has some really important weighty presence in our life, um, every time we talk about it, it's like an immutable object rather than, you know, a variable remembrance of different things depending on the mood we're in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really true. You know, when I worked with, um, when I specialized in working with incest families and incest victims, um, I would do that with them frequently. You know, we would literally, well, let's go back in the past again, kind of like it was the room down the hall. And we'd go <laughs> into this space and somehow discover mental well-being there. It was like if we went through it enough and people talked about it enough or they reframed it in their mind or they were able to somehow process it, that it wouldn't affect them. And it was like very frustrating to me because I'd take them back in the past many times to reprocess it and do it. And yet when they'd get stressed out or they'd get in a really low mood there, it would come back again. And I'd be like, (laughs) okay, one more time. We got to go back in the past one more time. And they'd be like, oh, God, no, please. You know, like, yeah, for them too, it was like this hellhole to go back into. But that's kind of the way that we look at things. And, and um, you know, psychology does a lot to promote that because mm-hmm. it, it creates these illnesses that really don't exist, right? Like you have... And I'm not saying that people don't ever have any mental health problems that are severe and disabling. And because that, that's true that your, your thoughts can get the better of you. But the problem with every mental illness is the misuse of thought and not understanding it. And that can create lots of problems, both physical and mental. Right. So we're not saying that that doesn't happen, but it, it's all the same thing. It's, it's not different. And when, when we start differentiating things, like I remember when I first started looking at the DSM-5 or the DSM-4 or the DSM-2, I guess that's where I started off. I'm not yeah. sure it was one or two, but it was a long time ago. Um, it was like we were coming up with these diseases that people had. And I was like, oh, my God. And I thought, well, how do you tell the difference between some of these? Because they'd have the same symptoms, right? And I get so, so like insecure because I thought I'm just not smart enough to figure out all these illnesses that people have because they all were very similar, right? So it it was like, how can you tell if a person's anxious and then gets depressed because they're scared all the time or that they're depressed and they get anxious because they're in such a bad mood all the time? You know, like it it just, I, I couldn't understand it. So yeah. when I learned the principles, I was so happy because I realized that people are generally the same, right? You use thinking in a certain way and it creates an experience. But when we're focused on that experience, then it becomes a thing. And that's just the nature of thought when we think about things and it becomes a thing. You know, this what you were saying about diagnosis, this is kind of cynical, but I remember one time a person that I was interviewing for a job with when I was doing medical practice management, she did medical billing on her own. She wanted to work for somebody else. And 
And that's part of what the services where we offered to clients. So I'm interviewing about it. And I said, well, do you uh, check when you get a diagnosis from a doctor's office? Do you check to make sure, you know, that it's correct? And she said, yeah. She said, sometimes I have to change it. And I said, what do you mean you change it? And she said, well, they don't, they don't realize that, um, you know, that the symptoms are the same for some other diagnoses that they could have picked that would pay more. And I was, this is the truth. I mean, and I said, you can't do that. (laughs) That's dishonest. The doctor picks the diagnosis based on he's looking at the patient. And she said, well, he never looks at the bill. (laughs) He just wants the money. (laughs) Needless to say, I didn't hire this person, but, but, Honestly, I think there is that going on, you know, that some of these diagnoses are so interchangeable in terms of the symptomology that people that do medical billing just go look and say, well, this one pays better than that one, so I'll just use this one. And uh, that's part of life, you know, when you try to over, over, um, over, over complicate things, I guess the word I would use, you know, it just becomes way too complicated. Because the truth is, if you're, if you're not aware of your thinking and you don't realize that thoughts come and go and that thoughts are just images, they're just like a, uh, an image that pops up in your head and then dissipates and disappears. And it's almost like, you know, you live, we live in a hologram. But if you, if you don't realize that and you, and, and you start taking certain thoughts seriously so that you keep bringing them back to mind and rethinking them and trying to figure them out, they take, they take a weight, you know, they take on weight, so to speak, in your own thinking about them. And then they become a thing. And that's the way a diagnosis becomes a thing. And, and, and many times, and many of these diagnoses, people will tell you, well, it's not really curable, but we have drugs for it. And so if it's not curable, it must be a thing, right? It'd be like a tumor or something, you know, that was benign, but you couldn't take it out. And so, mm-hmm. and and so, uh, honestly, that's the illusion of, of, the, of the world of form. And you're living in an illusion that, that things have substance that are just ideas that we've made up. And we could make up the same idea two minutes later and it would look different because our, our, our thinking changed or our mood changed. Mm-hmm. And, you, you know, to, to illustrate that, you want to think about something like I, I remember um, I had one uncle who we didn't see them, uh, this particular uncle that often. My father was from a family of 11. So we, you know, we <laughs> very rarely got the whole group together, except for things like, you know, Christmas Eve. And this one uncle was a Jehovah's Witness. And people, you know, the, the rest of the family was Catholic. And or or nothing. It was kind of like this. so. This, this poor Jehovah's Witness uncle would show up for family occasions, and all he knew to talk about was his religion. I mean, that's just the only subject he ever wanted to talk about, and nobody was interested. And there'd be all these people there, and he'd be trying to start conversations, and everybody would just kind of wander away and go talk to somebody else or play with the dog or something. And um. And, and he's, I remember him sitting at the dinner table one time, really frustrated. And he said, I'm talking about something. It's really a big thing to me. And you people don't listen to me. And I hate that. And he said, I want you to listen about my thing. 
<laughs> and it's exactly what Chris is saying, you know, that he that was such a big part of his thinking that that it had taken on, you know, a life of its own. And it, and it was all he could think about or talk about. Mm-hmm. And that we do that. I mean, I've, I've, seen, I've had clients that will come in and they must mention their diagnosis 15 times in the first 20 minutes of a session. You know, well, you know, because of my this, because I'm schizophrenic, this happens. And because I'm schizophrenic, I lost my job. And because I'm schizophrenic, I can't, get a, I can't keep a boyfriend. And, mm-hmm. and the, because of my schizophrenia, this and that. And you think, well, wait, you know, what, who gave that, that word that much power over your life? Yeah. It, you know, it's, it, it's the same thing happens with people with PTSD. Mm-hmm. Well, I can't do that because I have PTSD. Well, I, I struggle with that because I have PTSD. And, and there's the hopelessness that comes to when you look at yourself as being your thoughts. Yeah. You know, that's kind of basically what it is, is that you, whatever your thoughts are creating, you start to be that. And the, there's a whole, whole form of uh, family therapy called narrative therapy. And it's really talking about how people create stories in their head and, and then they live out their stories and they try to change the story so they can change their life. Right. <laughs> so it, it's, um, w- but what's interesting about it is that people start to talk about their story like it's their, their puppy dog. Yeah, I got it. Oh, this is my story. You know, it's like, well, when I, when I get into my story, instead of just seeing it as thought, and it, it may be true that it, that the thoughts you're into are stories about yourself, that things you make up about yourself. And I understand that that's what people are pointing to. But what, when you see that at an intellectual level, then you make it be a thing. So now it's the, my story that I have to like rewrite or I have to change or I get caught up in instead of just seeing that it's just thought. And you just have to make it simple like that. It's like you're just caught up in thought, period. It doesn't matter what the thought is. Oh, we're all caught up in our thinking about ourselves. That's generally 90% of what people get caught up in. It might appear that they're caught up in somebody else, like I want my niece to do a certain thing and she's not doing it. And it seems like that's about her, but it's really about my need to have her do what I want her to do. Right. And, and so all of our thoughts are our story. And Mm so if you just keep it simple, then you don't have to like change your story or rearrange your story or do anything with it. You just erase portions of your story. Right, 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 right. right. Or, or try to change the past because that's created your story. I mean, there's a hopelessness in that, right. That we can't get out of. So it's just kind of seeing that you can see how even that, form of psychology as affect people that practice in the principles, because that's one of the things we're, we've been hearing lately is like, oh, that's the story. You're telling your story. You're in your story. Yeah. But there's like a lack of like awakeness to that. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's, it becomes an intellectual analysis of thought. And that becomes a thing because that's, as you said, that's the mm-hmm. nature of thought. Right. And it's interesting. I, um, I guess a couple of years ago is when I was writing, I, was, I wrote a book and I, the purpose of the book was to kind of trace all the times as I was growing up and from the beginning of my life to the present, that wisdom was at work within me, or I was having original thoughts or fresh ideas or 
sudden shifts in consciousness and had no idea what it was. And how, you know, how you evolve through life and you start to kill that part of yourself. You know, you, you end up as you, losing your child childlike wonder and, and starting to get into the intellect. And so the whole point was to show the nature of thought through vignettes. But of course, the vignettes were things that I remembered. So anyway, my, my daughter is a very, very precise writer. She's a very careful writer and she's a good editor. So I asked her if she'd read the book. So she was, she was very into the book till she got to the parts about her. And then she said, well, I don't remember it that way, mom. And I'm going, well, of course you don't <laughs> because I'm looking out through my eyeballs at you and you're looking through your eyeballs at me and we're looking at the same house and the same day and the same event. But you know, we, we each saw it differently. And, and that's the nature of thought. Even when you think you're, you're telling the same so-called story, you know, the people that were standing next to you might not have the same thing to say about it. Right. <laughs> and so it's really kind of cute. You know, we had an interesting conversation about it because I said, you know, you can write your own book, say whatever you want. <laughs> I did, and I wasn't in your head. And, uh, and it, I mean, she, there was nothing bad or anything. It was just, it was, it was cute. It was a cute conversation because it never dawned on her that I wouldn't see life exactly the way she saw it, which is exactly the problem with teenagers. <laughs> you know? Yeah. 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 You know, it, it's 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 funny about that because in the in the work that we do, we do a lot of teaching through stories, right? Right, and I think that's kind of where people get get into it as if it's a technique. You know, like you you got to tell a story, and then from that they went to thinking about their own story. You know, but your story it'll change if you change, right? Like there are things that I analyze that I don't even remember anymore. You know, yeah. like, I, I, I don't even remember if they happened or they didn't happen. I go to my class reunions and people, my best friend goes, you remember when we did this? And I'm like, <laughs> no. And she'll, yeah. I'll say, don't you remember this? And she goes, no. And <laughs> we both kind of laugh and we both understand, like, we just didn't carry that memory through time. So right. your personal story, your personal thinking about yourself is just what you're currently making come real. But if you get locked into it, like this is the way I think, this is the way I am, you mm -hmm. it, it's really hard to let go of that because it feels like it's something greater than your thoughts. And it feels like you've got to fix it to move on. Yes. That's the tricky part because you can't fix the unreal. <laughs> you know? It's like you can just change your mind about it, but you can't you can't, you know, make it different in that moment when you're thinking about it. And you, and, you know, this is so subtle to me, but it's the real power of the principles when people start to look in that direction to realize that the thing that sets us free is not the content of our thinking getting better. It's our ability to see that it's not real. That is just the content of our thinking at this moment. Yeah. So, you know, people are always trying to fix what they think or what they've got on their mind, or what they think about all the time, or what they're in the, in the habit of worrying about. And that's impossible, because in the state of mind they're in when they're worrying, they're going to worry about something else, or they're just going to bring it back up again. Right. But as soon as people have that moment of truth where they realize, it doesn't matter what I think, 
my thinking is information about the quality of the of the state of mind I'm in. And I can think about anything if I'm calm and quiet and at ease and comfortable in my own skin and just sitting there, you know, reflecting on life. I can think about anything and it doesn't disturb me because it's just the passing flow of thought. It's like watching a movie on TV. Mm -hmm. You turn it off if you don't like it. And if you're finding it interesting, you just keep watching. But if, if you, take your thinking as a thing like it means something really important then you know you get it you get you fall into a memory that's troubling to you and all of a sudden you can go oh no oh my god and you get all wrapped up in it and you're trying to fix it or i thought i was over that i'm not over it oh no yeah. and we've all done it it's it's natural to do that but it, it isn't helpful it's, right. it's never. It's, it's an insoluble problem because it's not a problem. It's it's an illusion, right? And that's why people don't really get over their past because right. every time they get in a low mood, their story comes in their head, and it seems like it's validated. Yeah, like, oh, yeah, yeah. Remember that. This is the way I am. This is my story, and it's um, very uh, can be very distressing for people. When that happens, but it's just a trick of the mind. So the more you focus on that, the story or the content of your thought, the more you get caught up in it and the more real it looks. Mm -hmm. so just, you know, one of the things we, we can do for that is just to recognize that, oh, I'm, it's just insecure thinking, mm -hmm. you know, or it's just, I'm just thinking. Because yeah. the story that people talk about is almost never a good story. When they say, well, that's my story, right? It's that's not right. like, oh, I think I'm the happiest, most wonderful, you know, carefree, contented person in the world. And that's been my story. Yeah. <laughs> well, they wouldn't be in a therapist's office anyway, talking that way. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. So it, the more we analyze what's wrong with ourselves, the more we start to see like, oh, I have a habit of thinking this way. But it turns yeah. into like, oh, that's my story. And that's the, the big thing is when we, we make it personal, we get caught up in the personal nature of it. Mm -hmm. And then it becomes oh. our character or we're stuck with it or we can't do anything about it. That's just who we are. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I, had, I had a client one time who was uh, very successful. It was a woman. She was a realtor. She was doing extremely well in realty. And she was very, you know, highly respected, nice person, you know, had a nice family. And she came in to see me because she said, you know, I'm living a lie. And I said, what do you mean you're living a lie? You know, you have a great life, all these things going on. What's the lie? And she said, that's not really me. And I said, well, who are you? <laughs> who are you? Who do you think you are? And she said, well, Every time I talk to my mother, I'm reminded that I'm a phony and I'll never amount to anything. And she's going through this whole list of negative things. And I said, so your mother has a different story of you than you do. And she said, oh, no, I'm, I, you know, my mother knows me better than I know myself. And that's a perfect example of this because she had so gotten so frightened by the things that her mother, who was obviously a disturbed person in a certain sense, you know, to 
inflict her child with all these negative thoughts about herself, but she'd been saying it to her since she was a young woman. And she felt like her life was a lie because she was defying the story that her mother consistently repeated. And her mother would nitpick the little details of her life. And but it's the interesting thing is when I taught her about thought, just I said, look, I don't want to talk about your mother. I don't want to talk about you. I want to talk about how the mind works first. And I started to tell her about thought. She said, so you're telling me my mother just makes up a different version of me. And I said, yeah, your mother's making up whatever she feared might happen or whatever is going on in her mind. And, and so that's what she sees because thoughts become real when you bring them to mind. But that doesn't mean that's who you are. Only you know who you are. But she could, it never had dawned on her that her mother's thinking was, could possibly be different and unreal. <laughs> you know, this is an, uh, another funny thing is we make up these stories about life, about ourself, right? So when I grew up, I was the youngest of four children and my um, siblings were like quite a bit older than me, like nine, 10 years, 11 years older than me. And so growing up, I had like one reality and uh, evidently they had a different one, but I didn't discover this until I was older. So I moved back to Minnesota in the uh, early 2000s. And so I'm with my family and now I've become a storyteller, right? Because of the work we do, I'm always telling stories, right? So I start telling this story about what happened. My dad had a theater that burned. It was called the, the State Theater. And when I was in the fourth grade, the um, furnace in the basement blew up and caused a fire and the theater burned. And our family cat had been um, sentenced to live in the basement of the theater and catch mice because he, would, he kept getting in my bassinet when I was a baby. So his name, and his name was Blackie. And so he lived in the basement of the, the theater. So at the day the theater burned, I, I said, oh, what happened to Blackie? Did Blackie get out? And my sister goes, oh, he ran away three weeks ago. And, and he must have known this was happen, going to happen. So he just disappeared. I was like, wow, the cat knew that that was coming. That's so cool. And yeah. then the, the movie that was playing at the time was Cat on a Hot Tin Roof. Oh and my gosh. So, so I would tell this story all the time about how this cat just vanished, like before the movie, blah, 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 before the fire. And um, so I'm telling this story and my sister goes, that's not true. We just told you that so you wouldn't cry. I was like, <laughs> what? <laughs> and, and, and there was another, another two more stories like that. One about my dog that died and they made up a story about my dog running away instead of my dad having to put him down. And I was like, what? It, it was, it was, I feel like, oh my gosh, my whole past is not what I thought it was. And I yeah. thought, well, who cares? I mean, yeah. cares? it's just a story. It's just a story. But, you know, we get so attached to our thinking. Right. Yeah. And that's why it seems like it's a thing. And when you start to realize that you thought wrong, like that happens a lot too, right? You would make up a story about, you know, your mother loving you or somebody not loving you or something. And, and then you find out, oh, that's not true. Right. Later on, it's like blows your whole story. Yeah. So the less we're attached to the details of our, of our, of our life, 
the the f- more freed up we are to see beyond them. Yes. And that's the whole point is to be able to realize that you have the freedom to think whatever you want. And if you don't like something that you've been habitually bringing to mind, you know, you can just let it go. Yeah. And and, and the reason the reasons we tell stories isn't really about the story. It's because we listen to each other. Yeah. And we get feel a connection. So people that are telling stories, the other person's listening, and you're fascinated by the story. But what's really going on deeper is you're connecting human to human. Right. Right. That's and right. so I think sometimes people get a little caught up in the idea that we, sh- we want to tell stories and talk about things and metaphors and stories. But it's not the story. Yeah. It's about the way that we connect. Yeah, it's the feeling behind it, and the and the and the just the joy of sharing with people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So with so, that, we've shared our story. That's yeah. our story, folks. <laughs> no story, but we're not sticking to it. <laughs> That's right. That's right. We'll see so, you next week. We'll see you next week. Aloha. Bye bye. We hope you heard something new and that you will continue to join us to challenge the prevailing thinking about the possibilities for health in everyone. To subscribe to the podcast, visit our website at psychologyhasitbackwards.com. 